Welcome to People's Church Podcast. You know, I've had to, in the last month or so, really just take as much time possible apart from my normal routine and just focus on prayer, study, and renewing my own kind of engine. And uh, been doing that a lot. And prayer has taken on such a, a depth in this season for me where it's something that I'd want to talk to you a little bit about today, a couple of different things. The wildfires um, are an interesting thing. They're sort of a, in my mind, a picture comes to, to mind. And we're, we're in such a, a, a what do we say, sort of a vulnerable time of year for fires, right? I mean, you've got winter when everything is dead. You've got spring coming. But it is yet to emerge fully. And so you don't have the green of the new year and you got nothing but dead from the last year and the tall grasses and so on. And when it lights up, it lights up. You know, I was thinking about our nation and how Canada has changed so much just in my lifetime. Uh, a nation that has moved away from roots, it truly has. It's not just talking in the air. It truly has moved away from the roots of how we define ourselves and define truth. And uh, we are now in a time of great, fast, rapid change that we can see it just kind of moving down a wrong path. That for me, is always been just a, a heartbreak, you know, in a way. So blessed we have been as a nation. So wonderful our heritage. Why so rapid? Why does it go so fast? Somebody asked me this the other day. And it was part of my reflections already, so I was able to respond pretty quickly. You know, when you've had dead religion, a winter of religion for too many years in a nation, That's just dead grass. Why we aren't seeing the resistance that we need and why we aren't seeing truth elevated and why we're not seeing response that we would say is strong towards us is because of the fuel. The fuel that's been provided. See, dead religion is something that is just fuel for what the enemy wants to do. If your religion is something that's just from your parents, that's a dead religion. If it's something that's just of tradition, that's just a dead religion. It won't stand when the heat of true trial comes. It will burn. It will provide fuel. And it does that. And in Canada, we have had uh, an emerging dead religion in my, throughout my entire lifetime. And what has happened is that now we don't have much green, it seems, to resist that which is burning through our land. And a large part of that is because of things like prayer. I want to go to a story that's uh, really important for us to understand this. But first, a lot of religion is sort of sounds like this. A lot of what I hear from Christians even, how they would sum up their faith, how they would even sum up their faith, kind of goes in these two statements. The first statement would be, you tried your best. Try your best. I'm sure that you've told your son or daughter that in sports or whatever they were doing. You tried your best. 
I'm sure some of you would look at the Oilers and say, you tried your best. Did they? Hmm, I don't know. That statement means it's all on you, but you did, you gave it your best shot. You tried your best at that marriage. You tried your best at that business, at ethics. You tried your best not to do this destructive action. You tried your best. You tried your best to change this. That's a, that's a statement that I hear a lot in the teaching in modern day Christianity. Try your best. But then the second statement is one that joins with it and it becomes one really. Try your best, God understands. It's interesting when you put those two together, all of a sudden you start getting a little bit of an idea. So God is put into a position of just understanding that you gave it your best shot. You know the whole message of Jesus is that your best shot's never good enough? It doesn't matter if you tried your best. That's not the, that is not the thing that you formulate success on. As Christians, we're called to a thing called faith, a little higher level of how we direct our affairs because we don't keep it just within the natural realm of I tried my best and God understands. As if God isn't gonna focus on the gap in our life. That he ignores the gaps. God doesn't ignore your gaps. In fact, gaps are where you grow. If I take it into a sports analogy, by the time that those children proceed through into uh, more and more higher echelons of whatever sport that they're in, they are going to be focusing on the gaps between their best that they're trying. And they're going to need coaching to do better, to improve, because they're not satisfied with just trying their best today. Because trying your best limits the growth of skill, mental acuity, emotional management, growth. Your gaps were never meant to haunt you. They were meant to cause you to grow. So when we take it to the relational world, we can say, well, we tried our best. Well, your best was never going to be good enough in this particular relationship. If you really want to grow, take a look at where your best isn't good enough. And that the only thing God understands is that he'll give you grace, but at the same time, grace is not just mercy. Grace is power to change. His power. That there is something resonant within the Holy Spirit's presence within the life of a believer that al allows them to empower themselves beyond their best that they can bring today. Well, I was raised this way, you know. Here's what I was. I was a victim back here. I was, look, if, you, if you're going to live out of your history, you will never improve what you are today. Trying your best is a formation of all of your history. I just gave it my best shot. 
I never had the advantage that that person did. I never had that. There are two things that we want to focus on today so that we get a little wiser in how as Christians we can start living in a different way, a more empowered way in our life. Just because you are a Christian does not mean that you're living in the empowerment or the power of God. You might be limiting yourself by those very seemingly clean and good phrases. You tried your best, God understands. There's a story in the Old Testament, a very interesting one. And we can use these Old Testament stories as, we could say, pictures to teach us. Just teach us great principles. God has just taken Israel out of Egypt. They've been through the crossing of the Red Sea. And now they are going to face their very first battle. They don't have a prepared army, so to speak. This is their very first battle. In Exodus 17, 8 through 13, it says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. They don't have a trained army yet. Just let's choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow, Moses says, I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands on one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. There's actually two weapons that are named here that won their very first battle, and it was to be the marker for the, every battle they would face. They didn't always get this right. We don't always get it right. But these two markers were to be the foundation of every strategy of dealing with the enemies that would attack them. So what we've got is a picture of Moses who goes to the top of a hill overlooking the battlefield down below. The chosen men that they've chosen to go and fight Amalek who were a nasty people. They really were nasty. These were, these were kind of desert nomads and there was many of them. And they would target vulnerable groups and they were raiders. They're kind of like a massive pirate organization of the day. And they would raid any, any vulnerable areas. Now, they had been attacking, and so finally Joshua says, let's do something about this. Or Moses does. And so they do this. First fight. An interesting thing here is as long as Moses' hands are raised, they're winning. When his hands are down, they're losing. You know, most of us, we would rather, let's say, be active doing a certain activity all day more than actually raising our hands or praying. Prayer is the first weapon that we see here. Moses says, I'm going to go up and we're going to pray. We're going to pray from a point of victory. 
Have you ever tried to hold your hands up in a steady position and see how long you could do it? Should we practice? You know, that's actually a form of torture built on that. Just mentioning it. How long do you think you can hold it up? You'd much rather work all day with a shovel or a pick or an axe. You'd much rather do that and have movement going rather than to stand there in one position, frozen with hands lifted high. But this whole battle was about these hands. And then there was the second weapon, and that was the sword. It said the sword of Joshua. Now, if we go to the New Testament, we find the Bible talks about prayer, and then it talks about the sword. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, the Scriptures, the truth. Jesus used it himself when tempted. He used it directly on the enemy. No debate, no discussion, no elongated response. Just here's what the Scriptures say. He was demonstrating again the very same premise that the sword is effective. But what had he done for 40 days before that test? He had been in fasting and prayer. When our hands get tired praying for our families, praying for our relationships, you know, praying each and every day, starting off the day in a position that's the hardest thing to keep, which is a position of prayer. When prayer is something that is really quite rare in our lives, don't be surprised at powerlessness because the sword alone will never win the battle. Both have to function together. So we can take from this scripture just what we entitle this, and that's pray hard and fight hard. Joshua had his part to play, Moses had his part to play, and they did it. And both were hard. But the sword's might was not found in the arm of Joshua. It was found in the arms of Moses raised. It was found in prayer. Which thing going on in your life right now have you, that you don't like, that you know is an issue or a challenge, have you not bathed in prayer? You have not taken prayer and got your hands up and been in a position even from your heart within throughout an entire day because it matters to you, because this, this is something that, that you know you need God's help because it's a gap. I tried my best, but I fall short. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a definition of sin. By the way, there's three different types of sin. I'll just tell you them quickly here. That sin is falling short. It's like if you shoot an arrow at a bullseye and it doesn't make it, it falls short. And then there's transgression. Transgression is the willful disobedience where you'd be like, if I take the same bullseye, you just purposely overshot it. It's like some of you drove too fast today, purposely. Honest officer, I didn't know how fast I was really going. Transgression is just too far. It's willful, willful obedience. You know what to do, but you're willfully going beyond. The third one is one that is uh, nasty. It's nasty. The third, the third sin uh, is a sin that is called iniquity. Iniquity is where you actually seek the harm of somebody. When David in his prayer of repentance in Psalm 51 prays, he, he identifies all three of these sins. He fell short of being a king that went out to war in the spring. And he stayed home. He fell short of what he should be doing. 
And then he transgressed. He willfully went beyond what he knew was right. And he even committed iniquity because he sought the death of her husband. That's a gap. Trying your best is no magic. What God understands is that you're not depending on him and that you're not focused on the gap and you just want to move on. As I give it my best shot, God must understand. You don't want to build a home on your best shot. You don't want to build your business on your best shot. You don't want to build your moral life on your best shot. You want to build it instead focused on the gaps and knowing that you will not be able to actually produce what your heart wants to or what is good or what is right. And in that gap, it can drive you to your needs and say, oh God, and it brings you to humility and humbleness before God and says, God, I can't do it. I don't have the power. I am not enough. What in your life right now are you facing that's bigger than you? You've given it your best shot. You've got a gap and you know it. You don't acknowledge it, but you know it. And you haven't yet bathed it in prayer. You need to bathe it in prayer. When you notice your relationship is on the slide and you've pretty much tried whatever you can and it's not been enough. The gaps are to show us where growth needs to happen. That growth must be spiritual because of this. We are not up against battles just in this kingdom of this world. Our biggest battles are not just right here and right now with flesh around us. So how do you win? Well, number one, get dressed for battle. We're going to go to Ephesians 6 and tear it apart a little bit. Ephesians 6 and 10 and 11 NIV. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power. What does that say? It's just really straightforward stuff, isn't it? It just says, you be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I, give, I, I just gave it my best. Is your power measurement. And it's why he starts off the whole thing about having armor ready for war. He's, he's, he's basically telling as a Christian, you're going to be in war. You're in war here. You're going to have fights for your family. You're going to have fights for what is right. You're going to have fights to be morally growing and strong. You're going to have fights. You're going to have fights with depression and disappointment. And you're going to have fights with discouragement, the favorite enemy tool. You probably are quite discouraged about something in your life today. Probably things you haven't got control over, meaning you don't, your best shot's not going to get it done. Get dressed for battle. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Next, put on the full armor of God. So the first one we might say is about prayer. Now we go on what you need to have on as armor. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. More or less, you're not even going to be able to take a stand against the schemes of the devil if you are not going to be strong in the power of the Lord.
Get dressed for battle. Next, know my real enemy. Boy, I, over and over again, when we struggle with people, we always make people the enemy. That person at work is my enemy. That person in our family is an enemy. That next door neighbor is an enemy. My boss is an enemy. Whenever we have rubs with people, we tend to make the person on the other side of that conflict the enemy. That's not what we're taught as believers. In fact, we're taught the opposite. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So right now we exclude all the people you thought were your enemies. You think that's who the fight is with. Your fight is not with them. You are called to love them. You are called to represent Christ's grace towards them. You are called to live out a faith that's resident within the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Where all was given. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So let's break that down a little bit. He says it's against the rulers, against the authorities. More or less, there's an authority that is in place that has the right to resist you. To bring attack to you. Now, why does God allow this? Why does God allow this? Because God gave you this incredibly powerful thing called your sovereign will. And you get to choose. But that sovereign will also makes you a candidate for a love relationship with God. Without that sovereign will, he cannot build the eternal family that is the dream that he is right now realizing throughout the world in history and will for all time as long as it exists. But it's based on choice. And so God has allowed sin in this world, all three types that we just covered, to be, can we say, the attacks of the enemy, the ground of the enemy that produces darkness, that is going to bring you challenge and bring your family testings, and it's going to come to your door, and it's coming to your door harder and harder. They have the right because they've been given the authority to oppose you. Against the powers of this dark world, he, and he identifies two places where these powers are. One is right here in the dark world. He's saying within the world, these powers are at work. You know, it's kind of funny, but a lot of people at times really focus on the Antichrist. But we miss what John taught us. John said the Antichrist even now is in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist is at work all around you. What is Antichrist? Antichrist just means anything opposite Christ. Anti, against. And he teaches that the spirit of Antichrist has been working against the church and against Christians from the beginning of the Holy Spirit's coming. From the beginning of Jesus coming into Bethlehem. From the beginning of our creation going back to Genesis. From the beginning of a choice made it before a tree. 
And he's been opposing anything of God, anything that's good. This is not news. And in doing so, he has, be, he has the powers of this dark world to work for his cause of resisting Christ. Don't be so concerned about somebody that's going to be bad for three and a half years. My gosh, do you know how much damage has already been done and will continue to be done just by the spirit of Antichrist, the lives that get killed, the, that, that get killed, the, the innocents that are, are, are tragically taken, the, the, how we deal with life and death now, both going from uh, the womb right up to the tomb, and how we deal with these two spectrums and, and how we look at life now. What, what we are seeing is just simply the denigration of the original order of God that has been broken by sin. So in this world, these powers of this dark world have been, have been at work against the Lord from the very beginning of creation and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now we got another identifier that says not just dark forces in this world, but now we're talking about you are fighting against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Daniel prayed a prayer once. He was praying a prayer uh, uh, to, to the Lord. And the, and, and the Lord sent the answer. And it was coming through Michael, the archangel. When he arrives on the scene... And he gives it answer to Daniel. It's 21 days since the answer was given. This is pictures God gives us to understand things that happen in the spiritual realm that we don't really understand. And the angel gives this message. Daniel, the answer was given the moment you prayed. But it took, I was delayed by the battle against the prince of Persia, another way of saying Satan. I was delayed by the battle with the prince of Persia. The prince being the spiritual force over the, the world government. The enemy opposes everything, even that, that, that God is bringing. God will always get it to you. God will always be there. But he lets it happen because in the waiting, he gets to test your faith, test your endurance. He gets to reveal himself more. He gets to bring you into greater dependence upon him. Much of what God wants to do in your life, a lot of those things are already underway. Heaven has already arranged it. Will you endure in that Will you be there to welcome the answer? Well, if you understand that you are battling darkness beyond even the dark world and you are battling an evil that is coming from a heavenly realm, you can begin to understand that God is going to let these things happen so that he can strengthen us, teach us the things like patience and endurance that we need. You got to know your real enemy. Quit making people your enemy. That's why it's so wrong for you as a believer in Jesus Christ to not forgive or release. When you forgive or release, that is 
dismantling darkness. It's bringing light into a very dark cave. I didn't really understand what darkness was. I've had one time in my life where I got to experience total darkness. Total. You can only really experience total darkness underground. So I was down with my brother in uh, Yuma area and we went into an old mine. I think it was a zinc mine. It doesn't really matter. But we went down into there and he had his flashlight. And so as we're going down there, it's just getting darker and darker and darker and darker. And then you got to a place where he knew you shouldn't go further because another few steps and then there's a... I love my brother. He turned out, he said, Nelson, watch. He turned out the light. And we stood there for a few minutes to experience what darkness is like where there is no light that can get there. It was amazing. You can hold your hand right here. You can wave it, you do whatever you want. You can't see a thing. There is no shadow, nothing. Nothing. Darkness. That is what the enemy brings. He wants to sniff out every candle of hope in your life. I just was sharing with a fellow this morning that I know has been going through a rough time. And I had just a few minutes. And they are finally coming to a place where they can see a light in what has been nothing but darkness for them. See, the enemy is against that light, against that candle. And you are that candle. Every Christmas Eve, we light candles to illustrate something. We can't get it totally dark. We can only give you a little bit of an idea. That is what we are called to be because Jesus came as the light into the world. There was no light before Jesus Christ. It is total spiritual darkness. And now the light has invaded the darkness and there are now all kinds of little lights all over. And those lights, you can imagine, just when that flashlight came back on or if you found a candle in a deep cave, all of a sudden you're going to follow that person with that candle. You want that light. Know your real enemy. Then you use every piece of armor that God has given you. Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes. He didn't say if. You must understand that. He did not say if the day of evil comes. He said when. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. More or less, you're not going to be pushed backwards. You're not going to lose ground to that struggle with darkness. You are going to be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. We must understand the foe that we are against. He is persistent. He is strategic. He knows your weaknesses. He controls the card hand that he plays against you and he controls your hand if you give it to him. Do not let anger stay in your heart more than that day because if you do, you're going to give a foothold to the enemy, the devil. You give him that card, he controls your hand. 
Let's take a look at six pieces of spiritual armor <coughs> that are listed in this particular scripture. Yeah, this is all found within the book of Ephesians, which describes three positions for every believer. First, it describes in the first two chapters the position of sitting, relaxation. Jesus has done all of this. Look at what Jesus has done. Look what he's provided for you. He has raised you up into eternal uh, perspectives and before the throne of God as a child of God. You have eternal life already secured for you. Jesus Christ has already secured your ultimate victory as a believer in him. The next two have to do with the walk. He exhorting us to walk in faith. To walk leaning into the power of Christ. And then finally we hit the last two chapters and it is the position of stand. So sit, walk, stand. Watchman Nee was uh, one that really made that process clear. Sit, walk, stand. And stand means you are going to have days of evil. Touch your life. Those people that experience the wildfires, and I'm so thankful that um, we, we know of one couple that we are very familiar with that lost their home. But other than that, others of you that were brought out of that area didn't lose your homes. And we're so grateful for that. Because we don't know when the day of evil is going to come. It's like that. It's like a wildfire. It just comes. Who predicted this? Who would have known? Who could have thought? You know what? As they're coming to the end of winter this year, and they're looking forward to spring, that they are about to go through something that's going to burn everything around them. But at the end of it, hopefully they are able to just stand. The day of evil will come. You cannot live as if it doesn't exist. You must be prepared for it. Well, how do you get prepared for it? The spiritual armor, six pieces, like right in the word integrity first. What is integrity? Integrity is that word which is, it comes from the root word integer, which is a component of one, right? So it means that it's all one. You don't have all these compartments in your life. Here, over here, I'm this, and when I'm with these people, I'm this, and when I'm here, this is what I am. If you're living that way, you are absolutely fodder for wildfires, spiritual ones. Knowing and doing the truth. Knowing and doing. Knowing is, is no magic. We can all know the right thing to do, but we have three forms of sin working in our members that want to control your card, your hand, your play. Integrity is when we understand this part of the fight. And here it comes to this, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth. If you study Roman uh, armor at all or understand the Roman armor, they have what they call the belt of truth. If you have that picture, you can throw that up right now. The belt of truth is something that went around here. It's secured. It was, it was inside the breastplate. It secured right your core. You know, you can buy those things today. You got to sort back. You can get your core secured. 
It was, it's, 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 to re, it's to restrengthen what you got here. So hold it together. The belt of truth. To make it one that you're coming from that core of strength. Integrity. You know, integrity is also repentance. Integrity is saying, I was wrong. Just like David did when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. And he said, oh, I want to tell you a little story, David. There was a man that had whole flocks, innumerable flocks of sheep. And then there he had a neighbor who had one little lamb. And he went and he took that lamb from his neighbor. Well, David is used to hearing these kinds of cases because that's what they would do. They'd bring a difficult case to him. And David said, bring that guy. I am going to... He just gets... And then all of a sudden, Nathan says to him, David, you're the man. Now we find out if he's got integrity. And immediately he repents. I am the man. Immediately he deals. He doesn't cover it. He doesn't hide from it. He doesn't run from it. He operates with the truth. The truth is he was the man. The truth is it was his decisions. The truth is he stole something. The truth is he had her husband killed. The truth is. Integrity isn't decided because you are perfect. Integrity and perfection are not the same thing. Only God is perfect. God wants you to have integrity though. And I'll tell you where integrity is decided the most. It's not necessarily in your strengths. It is in your weaknesses. It's in your gaps. It's in where you fall short. It's in where you willfully shoot long. And it's in where you intend harm. Do you acknowledge it? Do you repent it? <clears throat> if you do so then the belt of truth can be on your waist. Next, purity. Another word is righteousness. Keeping my motives clean. The heart, it's all about the heart. So in the Roman army, they've got, you saw the breastplate that they wear. That actual breastplate came in about 20 AD which means that it was actually really recent at the time of this writing. But they would have the breastplate. Up until then, they used mail. Now they have this. And it was, it's speaking about protection of the heart. It says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. It's got to be there. You got to protect your heart. The Bible tells us, protect your heart, guard it, guard it. It's serious about guard it. Guard it because out of it flow the issues of life. Proverbs tells us this. It just, everything comes out of that heart. And if you let that heart get corrupted because you held on to anger too long and now it's become something else, it's become a condition in your heart, you best clean it up because you don't have a breastplate out there. Your righteousness is from Christ. And you must reinforce it with good repentance and honesty and protect your heart when it goes wrong. You expose it to God and call upon God because you need his power. You need his grace. Next is the serenity of grace. 
living and speaking the gospel of peace. Serenity is not found in the perfect place. There is no perfect place other than God in his heaven. Serenity is found where there is grace. There is peace in your relationships where there is grace given, where there is grace received. Living and speaking the gospel of peace to your offenders, to those that have worked against you, even at your place of work, done you great harm, intended harm for you. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Meaning this, that all of us are on a journey. We're all walking. Your feet need to wear something. And you better have it fitted with the gospel of peace. Because if you're not going to bring peace through grace out into the world, if you're not going to take that into your family, if you're not going to take that out here, then frankly, it's not working for you either. Your feet need to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I am ready for what today brings. I am ready for whatever strategy the enemy is going to bring. I understand my gaps. And I am ready by the grace of God for today because I hold prayer and I hold the sword, which we'll get to. The next is certainty. Trusting God's promises. You need to have a certain place in your life that believes in something bigger than yourself. I mean, you are so certain of it. If you're, there are many times Christians get so filled with doubts and they nurture their doubts and they doubt the truth. I want to tell you the way to do this is doubt your doubts and believe the truth. Don't be first entertaining all your doubts. You doubt those. Instead, embrace the truth. Certainty is something where you are coming from a position of solidness. In Ephesians 6, 16, it says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. That's believing. You say, but doubts. I got my doubts. If you don't have doubts, then you haven't really thought life through much. Doubts are not the enemy. It's when we give our doubts to the enemy. Doubt your doubts. Trust your Lord. Take the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And you think, well, what is flaming? It, it, I mean, literally, flaming arrows. I don't know if you ever watched Gladiator the movie or the beginning of that movie. Anybody ever watched that movie, the beginning of the movie where they're unleashing all of those arrows of the Roman army and against the Germanic tribes and they're, they're unleashing what they called hell. And all these arrows are going out and they're just flaming and then they're shooting these with their catapults big balls of fire that are just hitting with tremendous force and exploding and the enemy is serious about you because you aren't a threat to him but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world it's who is in you that's whose God is attention 
And he doesn't want the Lord in your life emerging more and more. He doesn't want your faith getting stronger. He doesn't want you to be able to stand in faith with a shield of faith and extinguish his flaming arrows that you can stop it before it penetrates into something that can really cause you pain, that can really burn you up. If you're suffering from these things, it's because arrows got through. You need to live in certainty. You can, but you've got to entertain those gaps. You can't be, well, I did my best. If you take I did my best into a marriage, I guarantee you, you're going to get taken out by some flaming arrows. But if you're going in there with the gaps, and you're going in there with a shield of faith, and so when the flaming arrows are coming, that are doubting what this relationship can be, or what it should be, or doubting, you know, God's power to work in there, and it's, it's all you've got is this hopelessness and ever-emerging deeper darkness, I can tell you, the problem is that your faith has been laid aside. You do not hold the shield of faith, and you are getting hit. The next is sanity. Protecting my mind from evil. One of the things that should amaze you today is how insane the world is becoming. How the logical thought or the things that you would say, I can't believe that people buy into that, that they actually think this. Upon what logical basis does this ever get entertained in their life? How do we fall for such lies so quickly? Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The best thing that he wants to accomplish the enemy in your life is simply this, because the battle is in the mind. He wants control of your thoughts. Maybe it's time to do a little bit of an inventory on your entertainment package, on your music package. Maybe on your language practice. Maybe it's time for a little inventory around the things that you love more than God, that you control your thoughts. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Your mind can be protected. Your children's mind can be protected, but it's only be protected by the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It's the helmet of salvation. And this is the Word of God. And so the helmet of salvation is protecting the key area of battle. Your mind. That's where the battle's being won or lost right now where you face things. The sword of the Spirit, he's saying this is the Word of God. you got to have a sword in your hand. Everything else is defensive. Everything else is defensive. But this one, he says, you got to take the sword of the Spirit. Meaning that the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit and His Word are always congruent. They always work together. And when you take the Word of God, you are taking the power of the Spirit, that which God has spoken to and breathed life into. Those aren't just words. They are filled with the life of God. It's the Holy Spirit that brings them alive inside our minds and our heart. 
And you got to take that sword and you got to use that sword because it tells us that this sword is able to divide asunder even the, the soul and the spirit. The soul being the mind, the spirit being that eternal rootedness of how you are formed in God's image. And it says it can even divide apart this, the very, very core of who you are. It knows who you are. It can speak to both. Where you're confused, he is not. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The next is maturity. Using God's Word against Satan. That sword is meant to take you against him because he's coming against you. And in fact, it's not so much now you waiting. It's you're not going to take my home. You are not. It is going to be this. And you use Scripture. And you're saying, you are not going to take my business. You are not going to take my kids. You are not going to take their minds. You are not going to. You get on the offensive before you're ever even in the battle. Now you're carrying the battle to him. You want to carry the battle to him. So how do I put on the armor? Through prayer. Ephesians 6.18 says, do all this in prayer. Do it all in prayer. How do you put on there? Do this all in prayer. For God's asking, for God's help, the gaps. Quit saying good enough. I did my best. Your best has never been the marker. God will understand. I'll tell you what God understands is that you need him, but you don't understand you need him. You need power. There's one great source because you're against something far beyond flesh and blood. This is just way beyond who we are without God. Pray on every occasion. I think that just pretty much says... If this isn't active in your life today, then it's not active. Your day and fights roll out. They roll out in 24-hour cycles. You got to have prayer in every one of those cycles. In this time where I've told you I've been in such a season of, of prayer, it has been very voluminous. It, is, it has been just... Something so engaging. It's been, a, it's been a time where with a little solitude, God has been able to speak more clear. And God has been able to resur bring resurgence and renewal. Do all this in prayer, asking for God's help. Pray on every occasion as the Spirit leads. You know, if the Spirit leads you in prayer... And he does. When, how does he lead me in prayer? What are you facing right now? Where do you see the gaps? He wants to show you your gaps, your weakness. Paul said it best. He's saying, God's power is made perfect in my weakness. 
who he is, God's grace, who he is. Pray on every occasion as the Spirit leads. For this reason, keep alert. That is one thing that a dead religion is never alert. It'll, it'll, that dry grass, as it gets drier and drier and drier, is never alert. Things are happening in your family you're just uh, not tuned into. Things are happening in you you're not tuned into. Things are happening around you you're not tuned into. And he wants you tuned in. How do I tune in? Pray on every occasion. Listen. Prayer is talk and listen, talk and listen, talk and listen. Keep alert and never give up. Persistent. I care about this. I'm not walking away. I'm not taking the easy way out. I tried my best. God will understand. No way. I have told more people, don't you dare give up. This is far more valuable than what you're treating it like. You dig in. You be that place of, of unchanging faith that people can come around again. Don't you dare give up. Pray always for all God's people. Now he's saying, you're not alone. And I want you to pray for every person that holds the light of God in their heart, Jesus Christ. I want you to be bound to each other. I want you to pray for one another. I want you not to be isolated because that's what the enemy wants you to do. He, wants, he doesn't want your connections with other believers. He doesn't want you to be healthy in your relationships with each other. No, but here we are told instead we are to pray for all God's people. Don't pray for the ones you like only. If you only do that, you'll never pray for them either. You pray for all, because we need it. Pray hard. It's so hard to pray. Man, all day, Moses, all day this fight goes on. Pray hard. But as long as he was praying, the sword's effective. The arm that holds the sword is strengthened. It causes it to strike harder more rep repetitiously. It causes it to do better in skill. It, it underlines everything that was going on in the battlefield. But it took all day to show the result and it might take you all year. It might take you a lifetime. But you pray and you don't give up and you endure because you are prepared to have God win the battle. And you know it's going to take God to win the battle. So you care about your family and your children enough to never give up and you will pray. For your marriage, you don't give up. You pray. You start not giving up. Get out of that territory. The battle is in the mind. If you're believing lies, if you're not going to believe the truth, well, you're, you're sunk right away. You need to instead really understand that truth matters and you've got to be clothed in truth and you've got to have a breastplate of righteousness. You must have a great relationship with repentance because you are definitely fallible and you are going to need God's grace consistently through your life in the package of mercy and then learning and growing. Be a David after God's own heart. He did horrible things but God says he's a man after my own heart. How can he be a man after God's own heart? Because God always was where he ended up at honestly before him and acknowledged and said I have have sinned. God, it's me. I'm the man. But then he turned it. 
You must always have your feet fitted with the readiness to bring grace, live grace, take grace, and achieve peace. You must have a certainty because you have this kind of uh, ability to, to, to stop to stop the enemy's darts. Uh, you must have a mind that works at sane. It can think in truth. It's educated by truth. It holds truth. And you must be mature. You got to have the sword of the spirit. And you got to practice what you know to be true. And you must speak it. And you must walk it. And where do I start again? Pray hard. So that you can fight hard. Stand with me please. We're going to close in prayer. Right now I want you to choose an area that you know we're in such a battle right now. You know that there's a gap and you know it. But maybe, maybe you have been saying this exactly, oh, I've tried my best. Get rid of that marker. Now try God. Get serious. Because you are in a fight. And it's way beyond what any human being can do for you. What we can bring to each other is our faith, our Lord, that we know that we are up against something far bigger, but we've got him. And I want you to address now what you face as we close just in your own mind and heart. God, I got, I, I'm changing my thinking. I am sorry that I have limited my life to what I thought was the best I could do and not what you can do. Fathers, we bow our heads. You know us all so intimately. You know where we really want to give up or where we have or where we've run or where we've dropped our swords and we've let our shields go. We haven't put on this stuff. The enemy's been playing our card hand. Father, I pray just be some little bit of repentance in hearts. Repentance of doing things on our own strength. And a strong turning towards you and saying, I need you. And I am going to take seriously these pieces of armor. I am going to admit I have gaps. And it's these gaps that are killing my life. Because my best was never enough. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just fill hearts that are open to you this morning. That they'd walk out with a sense of your energy refreshed. That they would walk out with a sense of humility before you to say, God, I just need you so badly and so much. And Lord, I know that they will find that, Lord, you will come alongside. They've been, you've been waiting for them to drop their own weapons and pick up yours. In Christ's name, I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.